I'm going to ask you to turn to as well. So if you have a Bible with you, you're going to need it. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read that very familiar words of Jesus that we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, beginning to read in verse 9, this is then how you should pray. Not necessarily what, how. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And today I want to focus on the phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This series of messages on the Lord's Prayer has given me a reason to reflect on my own prayer life and habits. And one of the things I've discovered, I don't like this discovery, but one of the things I've discovered, that is I fall short of the pattern that Christ sets before me in this prayer. The prayer starts out with the words, Our Father, that fact that we are a body of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are a family, a fellowship of believers. We say, hallowed be your name. And it's our prayer that his name would be hallowed, kept holy in my speech and in my actions, and that I would accent the positive and remove the negative. We ask for his kingdom to come, his kingdom versus my involvement with and enjoyment of this world. Now, if we were to go around the room this morning and we were to ask, uh, or maybe even for a show of hands and say, how many of you believe that God is omniscient? The word simply means that God is all-knowing. Omni, uh, that everything and, and science or, or, or sentience, that, that God has, has knowledge. God has all knowledge. And if God is infinite, and if God is infinitely powerful, then God has all knowledge. And most of us, as Bible-believing Christians, would acknowledge that. But that means that God knows best what I need before I ask him. That he knows what is best and that he knows when is best. And as I examined my own prayer pattern, I discovered that my own practice often betrays my belief. And you might say to me, well, pastor, that's not very spiritual of you. And it probably isn't, but I wonder how much of that is true for all of us. You see, your own prayer life may reveal that truth as well. Jesus taught us to pray that God's will be done, and yet most of us are really adept at telling God how his will should be done, right? We're pretty good at telling God how he should do things. Maybe you're not, but I am. But let me ask you a question. Or let me, and I asked myself this question, when's the last time that God asked for my advice? When's the last time God asked for your advice? Just think, if, if God had asked Adam for advice when, when he was going to make Eve, I don't know what that would have turned out like. Or maybe if God would have made Eve first and then said, what should I make a man like? You know, guys, we could have turned out totally different. Jesus did teach us to pray specifically, but before we get to the specific, 
He reminds us that we need to remind ourselves of the sovereignty of God. Sometimes we just tell our Father what He needs to do, and then at the end we throw in the words, yeah, okay, but your will be done, not mine. So, this pattern of prayer tells us that we need to pray that our Father's will would be done on earth. There are some reasons for that. Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like? What does God's will look like in heaven? And when you read through Scripture, even when you start at the very beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be an expanse, and it was so. God said, let there be land and plants, and it was so. God said, let there be a sun, moon, and stars, and it was so. Let there be land creatures, and it was so, the Bible says. Let there be human beings, and it was so. And the Bible says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. When God speaks, stuff happens. When God decides to do something, things happen. And what happens in heaven? If we're going to ask God that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, we need to kind of know what things are like in heaven. What about the angels? In Psalm 103, verse 20, we read these words, You as angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his words. In other words, when God tells his angels to do something, they do it. Daniel 7, verse 10 tells us that there were thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. In Luke chapter 1, verse 19, uh, the angel said, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. He did what God told him to do. Hebrews 1, verse 14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? What does it mean to obey? How do the angels do God's will? God's will. When God tells the angels to do something, they do it without discussion or debate. In Daniel 10 and verse 12, we read these words, Do not be afraid, Daniel. The angel is speaking to him. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Now, when God tells you and me to do something, very often our words are, uh, Can we talk about this? You know, can, can we, uh, are you sure that's what you want me to do? Um, do I have to go do exactly what you tell me to do? Or can I lessen that up a little bit? Or could you give me some options? Angels don't do that. They don't go to God and say, you know what, I, I don't really feel like doing that. Could you, could you give me something that isn't quite so hard? You see, if we're going to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then you and I need to be part of that equation. We struggle with that. God's angels do His will diligently, thoroughly, to the best of their abilities. And you and I have a tendency of compromise and say, well, that's good enough. That's as far as I need to go. I, I you know, I, yeah, I'll just do it a little bit, but... Boy, you know, I don't want to go overboard with this. 
The angels do God's will diligently, and they do it willingly without griping or complaining. A number of years ago, Brian and I used to take young people out on these wilderness canoe trips up the Churchill River. And, and on one of those trips, we had a young man. The kids have to take turns doing chores. And, and washing dishes was one of those chores. And one time, there was a young man along who just hated doing dishes. And guess what? We could tell. When he washed dishes, it was the last thing he wanted to do. And when he washed dishes, he wouldn't do it until he absolutely had to. And then he would sit there and he would wash. Slowly. So that the rest of us would really understood that he hated doing dishes. And we would have camp all packed up and we would be sitting there in the canoes and this young man would be sitting there beside the ashes of the fire still doing the dishes because he hated doing dishes. Now that young man has grown into an older man and has radically changed, which we're glad for. But, you know, have you told your child or, or a child that you work with something that he or she hated doing a chore? You know, the moans, the sighs, the theatrics, the time involved. Why do children stall like that? Why don't they just do the chores, get it over with so they can go outside and play? Why do they have to take four hours to do it? Of course, we as adults are a whole lot smarter than that. Right? Yeah. You know, when God asks us to do something, okay, God, let's get at it. Let's go out there and do it and get her done. So God's will gets done in heaven. And if we're going to pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you and I need to be part of that. Why? Because God's will is not done on earth. In Jude, we read that the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but their they abandoned their home. These, has kept, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Revelation 12, verse 7, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. God's will doesn't get done on earth. Satan's here, and then there's people. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53, verse 6, that all of us like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. There's a conflict between us and God. God says, go this way, and we said, no, I'm going the other way. Because God's will doesn't always get done on earth like it is in heaven. Yes, God rules the earth, but man hates. People hate and defy God through either unbelief, rejecting his laws and counsel, distrusting his power, complaining or murmuring against him, refusing to listen to him or walking in our own ways. How do we know what God's will is? How do you know? God says that we should do his will. If we're going to pray that his will should be done, how do we know? 
Well, there are certain things that God tells us in Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 7, it is God's will, the Bible says. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Do we live up to that perfectly? No, but that's what God wants for us. What about 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15? It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. It is God's will that when you conduct yourself in town, you should do good, even though you don't feel like doing it. So why is it important? What does it really matter? Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's important to know what God's will is and to do it. And we get confused about that sometimes. Why? Well, for two reasons. One is there's an enemy. And when that enemy first confronted Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said to her these words, Did God really say? Did God really say that you weren't allowed to do that? And she started thinking about that, and she started negotiating. She knew what God's will was, but he made her doubt. And then there's our own sinful nature. The Bible says in Galatians 5, verse 17, that the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so you do not do what you want. And the reality is that, that, that there's, there's within us the, this bent, this, this twistedness, this, this springiness that, that causes us to go the opposite way from God. When God says go this way, we automatically go the other way. That's part of our sinful nature and we need to recognize that. And if I am going to do the will of God, I need to come against my own will and against my own desires and I need to try and figure out what's going on here. How do you do that? I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, please, for those of you who have Bibles. I think I've got it on the screen as well, but, but I, I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 5. And the chapter is talking about the contrast between what people once were and those who have found Christ, what they are now, and what the difference is. And in verse 15, we read these words, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. And then verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
What does it mean to be foolish? The word that is translated foolish in our Bible means to be without sense or without knowledge or without reasoning. It means to be without something. And so the opposite of that would be to be with something, to have sense, to have reasoning skills. And in fact, the Bible tells us, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the word that's translated understand means the ability to bring things together and to see them in relation to one another. In other words, what the Bible is asking you and me to do is to think and to think critically. Not just to blindly accept something, but to think, to reason through something. The opposite of foolishness is wisdom. The Bible says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Where do you get wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The scriptures give us wisdom. Understanding gives us wisdom. And we need to reason. We need to work at it. We need to read God's word. We need to seek to try and understand it. And that involves work. It involves time. It involves diligence on our part. It involves thinking through stuff. You know, sometimes I tease people. I say to them, when they say to them, well, I think so-and-so, or I think so-and-so, and I say to them, well, what does it feel like when you think so that I can know when it happens to me? But <clears throat> but the Bible asks us to reason. It takes more than blind assumption or a flash of insight, and it takes time and seasoning and the school of life to learn some of these things. How do you find God's will? Well, there are things that Scripture tells us very plainly that are the will of God. In other areas, we have freedom. Sometimes we think that God's will is a, is a pinpoint, and we have to, if we don't quite hit that pinpoint, well, then, then we're missing something. And the reality is that, that in some areas, God gives us freedom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we read about, about uh, you know, a person is, a woman is married to her husband as long as he lives. But then Bible says if he dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes as long as he is a believer. So there's, there's a huge blank page. God puts some lines around that page and says you can marry a believer, but you can marry anyone you like. So in other words, if the guy's ugly and he stinks, you don't have to marry him. There's freedom in, in God's will. You know, God provides for my needs. He's interested in providing for my needs. But there, 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 there's a certain amount of freedom. When I went to, to Bible college, one of the rooms that, that one of our big classrooms had four different entrances, four different doorways. And one of the students used to sit there just absolutely paralyzed because he couldn't figure out which doorway God would want him to leave the room by. Well, God says there's four doorways. Pick one. You know, doesn't really matter. You, you, you can choose. Well, God gives me socks, but does it matter to God whether I wear blue socks or brown socks? Probably not, because I don't have any. All my socks are black. But we need to understand what God's will is. I went to visit a, a medical person one time in another place and this guy says to me it's not God's will that you should have pain oh really where do you read that 
You know, sometimes pain is part of the equation. The road to maturity leads through the valley of hard times, and sometimes that includes pain. Sometimes that includes struggle. Sometimes we have to go to the doctor. And, and, and you know, bad things happen to us, and, uh, and that's all part of the equation. Sometimes we assume, well, it's because I sinned or because somebody else sinned that this stuff is happening to me. In John chapter 9, you read the story of the man born blind and, and, and you know, the disciples went to Jesus and said, who sinned, this man or his parents? I mean, it's got to be somebody's fault. And Jesus said, neither. It's nobody's fault. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 asked that, that he said there was this, this, this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh that was given to me. And we don't not quite sure what it was. We think maybe it was his eyesight because he was nearly blind toward the end of his life. But he said, you know, I asked the Lord three times to take it away from me and, and God gave me these words. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And we have seen incredible things happen. We've, we've anointed people. We've laid hands on them. We've prayed over them. And God has healed. But other times, you know, we've done that and, and, and people have died. And the reality is that, that God is sovereign. We do what he tells us to do. We leave the results in his hand. And we go from there. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you think, well, you know, maybe if we pray God's will would be done, that, you know, in case he doesn't do what, what we expect him to do, that he's got an out, he's got a back door. But the reality is that God is absolutely sovereign, and he knows what is best, and you and I need to submit ourselves to that. Sometimes God gives us what we demand. And we suffer the consequences for it. We need to be very careful that we don't impose our will over God's will. God, you have to give me what I want. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. But ultimately, I think you and I need to learn the secret of contentment. Paul said toward the end of his life, he said, I have learned the secret to be content. Of being content, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And the reality is that you and I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The secret of contentment is not determined by your circumstances. The secret of contentment is determined by your attitude and by your faith in God. And there comes a point where I will have to say, Lord, I submit myself to you and whatever your will is for me. I don't like this. I'm not particularly enjoying this. But if you think I need this, then I am willing to submit to it. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this prayer is a pattern. It's not a prescription. Why would Jesus teach us that we need to pray for God's will to be done? Why would Jesus teach us to pray that? Because the human tendency is that we want our will to be done. 
not God's will. The human tendency is, I want my way, I want it the way that I want it, when I want it, how I want it, all the rest of those things. It's not a foolproof way or a shortcut to getting our Father's goodies. And praying for God's will to be done reminds us that God is sovereign. That's a comfort when things come unglued all around us. It's a caution when we start telling our Father how things need to be done, and it reminds us that God is both wise and powerful. First church that I pastored, there was this, this couple in a part of our church. They were there when we moved to this town, and, uh, and he had been a pastor, and, and they were a, a godly couple, for the most part. Uh, and she tried to be very much a, a godly, submissive woman and never talk back and, and all the rest of that. But when they prayed together, oh, she let them have it. Because, you see, <laughs> yeah, when they prayed, she could tell God all kinds of things that her husband needed to change and gave God lots of advice. And sometimes Kathy and I can think of all kinds of advice to give God concerning our youngest daughter. And, and some others, and some of you, no. Not, not. You know, sometimes we, we wind up telling God, God, do this, or God, do that, or smite this person, or, or wake him up, or, or, you know, do this, or whatever. And, and, and the best thing to do sometimes is, Lord, like, whatever it's going to take, like, taking my hands off this situation, I want your will to be done, not mine. I don't know what is best. He knows what is best, and we need to leave it there. And so my question to you is, are you praying for God's will to be done? And then number two, are you doing God's will when you know what should be done? And that's a question that you will need to take home with you and think about it. The Bible says, understand. Don't be foolish. Don't be without wisdom. But understand what the will of God is. Reason it out. Think through it. Study His Word. Ask Him. And you will certainly find out. Father, it's so easy to say those words, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, give us an idea of how Your will gets done on earth and what You expect from us. And ultimately, Lord, help us to realize that your will is the very best thing for us. You're not out to make us miserable or to, to just enjoy our suffering. But your will is ultimately what is the very, very best for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the wisdom to know what your will is and then the courage to live it out each day at a time. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. We're dismissed.